All right, as we get started, I want you to not, not dwell on this, but just call to mind a recent conflict that you've had. It might have been um, a long time ago or yesterday. It might have been on the way to church this morning. Just, just recall a conflict and tuck that away in the back of your mind, and we'll come back to that at the end of this um, sermon. Um, so in my experience of being a pastor and being in vocational ministry and all the different sermons and teachings and, and things that I've given, there have been two topics that have generated a visceral reaction by people, either because it was so relevant to them or because it made them so uncomfortable. One is the topic of grace. The idea that you cannot earn this, you can't save yourself, there is nothing you bring to the table, that it is all about God's kindness to you. And that, that unnerves us because we always want to do our part. We want to kick in a little or we want to, you know, be somehow worthy. You're not worthy, but God loves you anyway and saves you because of his grace. That topic unnerves people. And the second one, which I'm going to address today, which is the topic of forgiveness, causes a reaction in many people. And by that, I mean, they don't just say good sermon, pastor, which basically means have a nice day on the way out of church. They say things like, that's really hard, or I'm struggling, help me understand a little more about this, or they send me an email or whatever later. So um, this is one of those topics that's so difficult for us. Now we're in a series on the healing that Jesus offers. We're calling this series, uh, Jesus the Ultimate Physician. And Luke the author of this gospel, who also is a physician, he was a doctor in his day, um, focuses on the different ways that God heals. And there's a number of stories and accounts of Jesus healing and helping people. And today's an interesting one because the presenting issue, which is paralysis um, and a physical healing, is not what Jesus immediately wants to address. He wants to go deeper to a need for forgiveness that this man has that he doesn't even necessarily realize that he has. So forgiveness is an even bigger type of healing than a physical healing. In fact, what's interesting is, and I think probably many of you know this, um, at least intellectually, is that unforgiveness, the unwillingness on our part to forgive someone else can lead to physical ailment. It can actually cause your body to start breaking down. Talk to some medical people. Talk to some people in mental health. A lot of times physical problems are the result of a spiritual problem or a relational problem. And that's no different here. Forgiveness is a big issue. Now, C.S. Lewis, whom I love, uh, in his most famous theological work, Mere Christianity, lays out the good news of the gospel and then he talks about some of the moral imperatives, some of the, the commands that anyone who would follow Christ must live into. And he has a chapter on chastity, and he talks about abstinence apart from marriage and purity within marriage for the topic of sex. And he starts that chapter saying, this is the most unpopular among Christians. And then when he gets to the chapter on forgiveness, he says this, I said in a previous chapter that chastity was the most unpopular of the Christian virtues, but I'm not sure I was right. I believe there is one even more unpopular. It's laid down in the Christian rule, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, because in Christian morals, thy neighbor includes thy enemy. And so we come up against this terrible duty of forgiving our enemies. The call to forgiveness, the radical type of forgiveness that goes beyond just our friends, but all the way to our enemies, is one of the toughest things. And what I'd like to do this morning is suggest that for a Christian, as a forgiven people, as a forgiven person, you are able 
to forgive others. Now, how I'd like to outline this sermon is this way. I didn't mean it to be alliterated, but I noticed that it was. I want to look at the text, then I want to look at the topic of forgiveness, and then I want to look at the task of forgiving. So those three things. So let's start by looking at the text. This is Luke chapter 5, and this is an awesome story. It's an awesome account of what happens. And it's, it's so hard when you read it in black and white to, to feel like you're there. I mean, try to imagine for a minute that right now, little flecks of drywall start falling on your head. And there's noise on the roof, like a bird is pecking through. And then a hand appears, and then feet. And then a rope lets a man down right in the middle of the church. That's pretty disruptive. And that's what happened. So there was such a crowd that had pressed into this ultimate physician, Jesus, that wanted to hear his teaching, that these guys couldn't bring their sick friend, their, their um, paralyzed friend, to get healed. They couldn't get close enough. So they are desperate enough to climb up on top of the roof and mess up some guy's house, poor, poor homeowner that let Jesus come into his house, and now there's a hole in the roof, and they lower him right down before Jesus. Jesus does not miss an opportunity to use whatever is in front of him as an object lesson, whether it's a sheep and a pasture or a vine and a vineyard or a man on a rope coming down through the roof in front of him. That has to be what he's got to address right there. And so Jesus, um, wanting to teach, he's teaching, right? So he's trying to explain the kingdom of God to the people there, in particular the religious leaders who were questioning him. When he sees the faith of these friends bringing their sick person to Jesus to be restored, he says something that's so interesting. He looks at them and says, man, your sins are forgiven. And then the text tells us that Jesus knows what these religious leaders were thinking in their hearts. They're asking the right question, one that you and I would ask too. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, if, if I walked over there and just, I don't know why I have this violent image in my mind, maybe because it's so ludicrous, but if I walked over and just popped Dan in the mouth, <laughs> I don't know why, I just go, Dan, ah, and he, his lip swells up and he's got blood on his chin, and I just do that. And then Sam Garrison says, Mike, I forgive you. When it's time for the peace, and I go over to give Dan a hug and say, peace be with you, I love you, he's not going to be real receptive to that, right? <laughs> Sam will. Sam and I are good, but he's not. And that's what happened here. So they're saying, wait a minute, how can you forgive this man his sins? And I'm assuming this is a man that had never met Jesus before. So it's not like, it's not like he did something, he stole Jesus' lunch the day before, and Jesus is forgiving him for that. He is universally forgiving his sins as a sinner, as a person who is in rebellion against God. Now, if Jesus was handing out business cards, his card would say, I am God. He's, you know, it's so clear. If you're looking for a place where in the Bible Jesus claims to be God, here's one of them. Because only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they call it blasphemy. But so then what Jesus does is so interesting, right? He proves to them that he has the authority to forgive sins because he's actually God. He's the son of God incarnate. And he says, so that you will know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins on earth. And then he looks over at the paralytic and says, man, stand up, take your mat and walk home, which he does. Right in the presence of all of them, the crowd parts, he walks right out and goes home. And, and I love how the, the passage ends. It says, um, amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. 
That was the reaction of the crowd. Now, I wish I knew a little bit more about how this wraps up. Like, does Jesus just get up and walk out too? Um, do they sit down and do another round of teaching? Like, I don't, we don't know. But the main point here is about forgiveness. And Jesus is trying to teach them about the need for forgiveness and how important this is. And he says something that's so interesting. Do you think it's harder for someone to heal a paralytic, a paralyzed person, or to forgive their sins? Right away, I think I would rather try to forgive someone than to try to heal them. But Jesus says, says the opposite. Which is easier? Or you could say, which is harder? It's harder to forgive sins than it is to heal, at least for Jesus. And I think it actually is true for us as well. It's so hard to heal because of the, or to forgive because of the cost involved. Now, secular people, people outside of the church, people that are kind of considering Christianity will often say things when they hear about the cross, right? The cost of forgiveness. When they hear about that, they say, why doesn't God just forgive everybody and just say, it's all good? Well, the next time that person is sinned against, say that to them. Just let it go, man. Just say it's all good. It doesn't work because of the cost. There's, there's an actual injury involved. And so somebody has to eat that cost. There is a debt and so Jesus, even when he gives us the Lord's Prayer, uses the language of debts. So we use the word trespasses in our version when we pray it. But if you read in Matthew 5, it, the Lord, or 6 rather, the Lord's, Matthew 6 says the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So something has to be paid. There's a cost involved with a sin. When we, if I borrow a tool from you and break it and bring it back to you, either I have to pay to fix it and say, I'm sorry, I broke your tool, but I got it fixed, it's fine, thanks for letting me borrow it. Or I bring it back broken and bent to you, and then you either go without, you no longer have that tool, that's your cost, or you go to the store or wherever and you have it repaired on your dime. Somebody has to pay for that. There's a cost involved. Now that's an easy, obvious one with a physical thing, but take, take my offensive Dan. If I punch him in, in the nose or in the mouth, there's a physical cost, right? His, his lip swells up, he's got pain now, I've inflicted pain on him, he's got blood running down his face. There's a relational cost, there's now, a, now there's a, something keeping us apart, it's broken our relationship, and then he goes home and Carrie goes, what happened to you? And then he tells her, and now she and I have a problem, right? It, it has a, a multiplication effect, and then, and then there's an emotional cost. He can't go out to lunch because people are going to say, what happened to you? And then he's, you know, and it, so, he, so he withdraws a little bit. And then he starts thinking, I, I thought Mike liked me, you know, and now he's violent. Why did he punch me? And, you know, and the cost is big. And so what most people do is they get even. But it's an arms race. So if he punches me in the face, now who's going to pay that cost? Well, I'm going to punch him back. And, he's, you know, and it, this is how the world works. It goes back and forth. The only way is to stop that is somebody eats the cost. So here's the definition of forgiveness. It's giving up the right to get even. So it's a voluntary form of suffering. It is choosing to eat the cost. That's really tough. It is really tough. Now, Jesus's incarnation, him coming, leaving heaven, leaving the glory of being with his Father and the Spirit, and, and as the Creed says, for us and for our salvation, 
became incarnate through the Virgin Mary, was born. He humbled himself to be born as a man. That is part of him paying the cost. And then it keeps going all the way to the cross and then eventually the resurrection. That is all part of what Jesus is doing. So when the man comes in, the paralytic is lowered in, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, he's in the midst of paying the price for that by being there in the flesh, by being born as a man, by coming, and he knows where he's going. He knows he's going to the cross. He is perfectly eating the cost. He is paying for sins. Now, um, it's helpful also to point out that in the text, the man wasn't asking for forgiveness. At least not explicitly. It's not in here. I suspect that like last week I said, when, we, when a sinful person draws near to a holy God, we get very unnerved by that. And if I had to guess, when he started to realize what was happening, all these people were gathered around this famous rabbi and he'd been healing people and his friends are lowering him down and all the eyes are on him, I think he probably started to feel the need for not just physical healing but for forgiveness. And I think Jesus, who is so merciful that even an inclination towards repentance is enough for him to start being merciful to us. I think he saw that and forgave him right there. But I want you to notice something. You don't have to have somebody else repent and apologize for you to forgive them. You can offer forgiveness apart from that. In fact, you need to for your sake. You've probably heard the saying that unforgiveness and the bitterness that comes with it is the poison we drink hoping the other person will die. It's part of the way of trying to pay back the cost. Well, I'll get back at you by just being angry at you. Well, it doesn't work that way. It actually hurts you more than them. And a lot of times they don't even realize how angry you are. Another thing about this is a lot of times they don't realize how much they've hurt you unless you go and explain it to them. When you hurt someone else, you never think it's as bad as they do, ever. You kind of, you justify it. You see it from your perspective. You don't see it from theirs. That's why this topic is so difficult. It's so uncomfortable. So for you to forgive someone else doesn't require them to repent and ask for forgiveness, but reconciliation does. In order for for the relationship to be restored, I have to go and say, I'm sorry that I punched you in the lip, Dan. I I was angry and I shouldn't have vented that on you, or will you forgive me? And then then we, we start moving into reconciliation. What the Apostle Paul summarizes the gospel in this way, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. And then he says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what Jesus was doing with that man who was lowered in and what he's doing with each one of us is restoring a broken relationship. He's reconciling us to God. Or I could do it this way, vertically. In the liturgy, every Sunday, we, we exchange the peace. And I, I've told you before, that's not just a meet and greet, say hi to your neighbors around you. That's actually a way to physically embody a spiritual truth, which is because we are reconciled to God vertically, we now can be reconciled to one another. And we do it intentionally before we go to the Lord's table. Because if, you know, if I punch Dan in the mouth and then I ask him to go to have lunch with me, he doesn't want to have a meal with me. He doesn't, until we get reconciliation. The same should be true of this table. We need to do some self-examination before we would come. I mean, that's really important. And so that's why we exchange the peace is to say, you know, for one, it's to ask ourselves, am I in harmony and reconciliation with the people around me? Is there someone I need to forgive? Is there somebody that, um, I, that I need to go and confront about something? So we need to discern the health of the body before we come to the table.
That's really important. But this ministry of reconciliation that we've been given is because God cares so much about the body of people. He wants to see a healthy body. Now, here's a big imposition on us. As you've been forgiven, you must forgive. In fact, the Lord's Prayer, if you read in the Sermon on the Mount, it goes on and says further, unless you forgive, you won't be forgiven. It's conditional. God expects us to forgive others so that we can receive his forgiveness. And if we don't, we don't receive his forgiveness. So all of a sudden, we've got, we've got work to do. So maybe recall that, that incident that I had you bring to mind before I started speaking and think, do I, what work do I have to do there? What caused the conflict? What's, what's on me? So that's the, to- that's the topics. We've looked at the text. Where it, it, forgiveness is really important. And we've looked at the topic a little bit. Now let's look specifically at the task of how to go about it. Here's what Christians have that is essential. Two things. We have the humility of our own forgiveness from God. And then we have this, the security of God's love for us and assurance. So King David, right? He, he writes in Psalm 51, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, O Lord. And you go, wait a minute. You committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then you murdered her husband, and you shamed God's army. That's not against only God. That's against all of God's people. But what we learn in the scriptures is that God is so closely identified with his people that a sin against someone else is actually against God. So when the apostle Paul, for instance, is persecuting the church, Jesus comes to him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he doesn't even know who Jesus is yet. It's because God hurts when we hurt other people. It is ultimately a sin against him. And, it, and the reason we hurt other people and the reason that David um, sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, her husband, and the army is because he was trying to set up his own little kingdom. It comes from our desire to live in rebellion. God is saying, I made you for a relationship with me. And what we do is we go, I don't need you. I got this. I'm going to set up my own thing over here. And in so doing, we do all kinds of damage. And so it is ultimately about that rebellion. It's about sin against God. So what that does is it humbles us. When I recognize my propensity to do that, then whatever sin you might commit against me, if I'm honest and humble, I could do the exact same thing to you or someone else. Now, it might be nuanced a little bit. I might do it in a mic way and you do it in your way, but there's no sin that you would commit that I couldn't, right? So I'm humbled by that and it brings me down a notch. And then when I recognize what God was willing to do to forgive me, I don't even realize how badly I I hurt him. But then when I look at the cross and what it costs to forgive me, I realize it must have been a lot worse than I realized. And God loves me that much that he was willing to do it. And so now I have the security of being willing to pay a cost because I've been given an infinite amount of resources in that security. He says, I love you. I forgive you. You are mine. So I'm able to eat the cost of someone else's forgiveness against me because of what Jesus has done on my behalf. If I only have one of those, but not both, there's a problem. If I only have humility and I recognize that I'm a sinner, I will fall into self-loathing. I won't have enough strength in myself to go and pursue reconciliation. And if I only have security of thinking God loves me and I'm really special to him, but not humility, I'll actually judge you. I'll think how dare you sin against me like that? I would never do that to someone. And that's just ignorance of my own heart. And so we need both. 
We need the humility of knowing that we are broken people and are sinful in God's eyes. And we need the security of knowing he's forgiven us and he loves us. And so then we can bring those both to the task of forgiving others. Now here's some specific things, uh, two things that I think we need to do on this. One is the inner work of the voluntary suffering. It's hard to forgive right as you're sinned against because you're not even quite sure what the cost was. You need to step back from it and assess it. What, what was taken from me? What is this costing me? What, the emotional, the physical, the relational, what, what happened in processing some of that, counting the cost, while at the same time counting the cost of my sin against God? And we need to do this in prayer to determine what the next steps are. Remember, God's purpose in forgiveness and reconciliation was to bring the community back together. So I have to ask, is this offense hurting the relationship? And if it is, then steps can be taken toward reconciliation and healing. Is it a chronic thing? It's something the person has not repented of. They keep doing it and they keep hurting our friendship or our marriage or our relationship or whatever. Is it, is it something that has to be confronted? Now, what you'll find is that the longer you walk with the Lord, the more Christian maturity you develop, your skin gets a little tougher. Your hum humility gets a little higher. You're not as easily offended. People do stuff that would, in prior years, really upset you. And now you're like, eh, yeah. And you just kind of let things fall off your back and it doesn't have to hurt the relationship. So you have to weigh that in the private time of counting the cost and say, Am I, able to, am I able to just let this one go, or does it need to be addressed? So we don't want to be so sensitive that we're always going to people and saying, you know, you need to repent, and I, I forgive you for that, and, you know, it, it, can be, it can be a little bit oversensitive. And so some things we just let go, because it's, it's not a big deal. But if it's a bigger deal, then we need to go to the person. So first, take it in prayer in private, and then here's, here's the hard part. The second part is when you have to go to the person. And I want you to use the golden rule with that. How would you like to be treated? Treat others that way. So when someone, if someone was to come to me and say, you sinned against me, I would want them to do it, one, because they're trying to actually restore our friendship, not because they're trying to get just justice. They just want to settle the score or set things straight or put me in my place or whatever. They want actually reconciliation. So come with a motive towards reconciliation. We're looking for a win-win kind of a thing. And then Secondly, humbly, I want them to own their part in it. Yeah, sure, 99% of me punching Dan in the mouth was totally about my anger, but he did actually do something that was on him. And so if he comes to me to confront me for my, my sin against him, if he starts out by saying, you know, I know I, I was really sarcastic in staff meeting the last 10 times, and you know, whatever. <laughs> But if he, if, he takes, if he takes a little bit of ownership and says, is there anything else I've done that helped cause this, right away it disarms the other person, it brings me down a little bit, I start thinking about it. Um, so I think we come with taking our own ownership. And then probably the hardest part is to come with warmth, to come with love and not just truth. Speak the truth in love. To come with that Christian charity. And that has to be found only in the Lord. Love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and it has to come out of that time of taking this offense to the Lord, so that when I go, I go with God's heart for Dan, or when he, rather, when he comes to me, he comes with God's heart for me to say, hey, you really hurt me, you know, when you did that thing. Um, I, 
I miss our friendship. I want to, I want reconciliation, but this is what it cost me. It was, you know, and, the, and, and, and give me an opportunity to, to respond. I think that is the way that we do this. And I said, as forgiven people, Christians can forgive. And I want to say that as forgiven people, we must forgive. It's imperative upon us. It's part of the good news. It is part of mere Christianity, so to speak. We have to do this as hard as it is. But God's forgiveness gives us what we need to do it. So now I want you to think through that situation again that I asked you to bring to mind. We all have one. And I'm going to go to prayer right now. And I want you to bring that to the Lord. So would you pray with me? Lord, this is really hard. And we need your help. Lord, would you give us a strong desire to be restored? Would you help us to understand how great your forgiveness is? Would you increasingly make us quick to forgive others when they sin against us and to go to them when it's gone the other direction? Lord, heal your body. You are the great and ultimate physician, and we love you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.